interesting. This episode of Hmm, Interesting is brought to you by Tommy's Place, where their motto is, are we a gay nightclub or a family restaurant? You be the judge. In business since 2004. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Hmm, Interesting. I'm your host, my name is Anthony Vasquez, and in this episode we'll be exploring the world of fire and rescue. Just a few housekeeping things before we get started. Bear with me. Uh, Number one, all the people who told stories um, in this episode are active fire and rescue personnel, and due to the sensitive nature of that job, names have been redacted for anonymity's sake. Uh, Number two, if you are listening to this with headphones, uh, one of the stories you might notice in the background, a small child crying. Uh, That is my small child. He's one and a half. He was having a bad day that day. Uh, That does not mean that your child isn't crying, so maybe you should go check on him anyways. Uh, Three, some of these stories uh, may not be for sensitive listeners, Uh, but know this, I did edit a couple of them heavily. So if you're offended by anything you hear, you would have been a lot more offended if I didn't edit. All right. So there's that. Uh, While listening to this episode, uh, in between each one, there will be like a delineation mark. Um, It'll be, uh, you'll hear like a a child toy counting in Spanish. Um, That's just going to separate each episode. So don't get confused by that. Uh, Anyways, guys, I really hope you enjoy this episode. It was um, a lot of fun to make. And uh, as always... All stories on Hmm Interesting are true according to the storyteller. Enjoy. Hello. Hello. All right. um, Thank you for doing this, first of all. And... um, why don't you go ahead and tell me how long you've been in fire and rescue, including your volunteer service and everything? Uh, thirty years now. You were pretty. You were pretty young when you joined. Sixteen years old. Sixteen. Okay. Um, why don't you go ahead and uh, get get started with your story? I'm excited to hear it. Uh, supplemental information said that it was a uh, lacerated scrotum. So. I got a kick out of it, just knowing that I was going to make the EMT handle the patient. <laughs> and uh, we arrived to find it was much worse than that. The uh, person had tried to cut off their testicles. So uh, the patient was in a lot worse condition than what we initially expected. Um, when we got there, we could tell that uh, the, the person just appeared that they had lost a lot of blood, you know, just, uh, the, the way they looked and, uh, they stated they had lost a lot of blood and, um, I asked, I said, well, I need to see where this happened. I had the EMT, you know, start with the assessment and stuff. And when I got in the room, um, there was just stuff everywhere, you know, skin, blood, clots, all kinds of stuff, and became pretty apparent that something much worse than a little laceration had occurred, and uh, that's when I questioned the person about it, and that's when they told him that they had cut it off. Did he Did he give you a reason, or is he... Just said, uh, rather not talk about it, and <laughs> I was okay with that. <laughs> so, I mean, so, when you got there, the bleeding was already controlled? 
Yeah, we weren't sure yet. Um, I ended up calling and wanted to talk to a doctor to see if, you know, uh, people in the area, where would be the best place to handle the call. And um, they had asked me, you know, why have you taken a look? And I hadn't at the time. And then, uh, so I told my, you know, they kind of gave me a lecture about how vascular the scrotum was and obviously they couldn't see what I had seen in the room. And so ended up, you know, exposing, looking and found that, uh, the person had already taken measures to try to uh, stop the bleeding theirself and basically tied a string around everything in the skin and the penis and, um, there was, you know, no circulation in anything anymore. Um, at that point, I just I got back on the uh, online with the doctor and said, "Never mind, we're we're gonna go to uh, the highest facility we can go to to uh, take the patient to." Yeah. So, so everything everything looked like it was it was a loss. There was no returning from what he had done. Essentially, right, right. There was no circulation. It hadn't been for quite some time. Yes. Evidently, there's multiple attempts to stop the bleeding, you know, for quite some time prior to us getting there. Yeah. Um, so you finally get him to the hospital, and um, what, I mean, what happened? I was given the uh, uh, report to the nurses, and <laughs> I noticed that they were looking at me funny. And as I was giving the report to them, I, I realized when they were looking at me funny that I was actually holding myself. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I'm doing it. And they were like, well, you've obviously been traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, to say the least, right. So, um, yeah. So did you uh, ever get a follow-up with, with this guy or figure out, I mean, obviously it's probably, like I said earlier, a complete loss. What What was intended to be done was done right. yeah that was that's probably the he probably honestly got the cheaper option you know uh, oh. uh well i appreciate you uh going over that story again however traumatic it um may have been for you uh, but we really appreciate it and um we look forward to talking to you again sometime all right sounds good all right thanks a lot all right Hello. You're the first person ever to call me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and two, you are the first female voice on Hmm Interesting. <laughs> you should be receiving a plaque in the mail within the next uh, two to 25 business days. <laughs> that sounds like something from the government. <laughs> um Let's uh, go ahead and get started. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell me what your job was and uh, how long you did that job? All right. So I was a 911 call taker and then became a police dispatcher for a little less than two years. Every crazy call that the provider has goes through you first uh, for the most mm -hmm. part. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what's, one, what's one of the most memorable ones? One of the most memorable calls that I had, I was actually still in training. I was I was at a point where I was um, taking calls on my own, handling them, but my um, trainer was clicking into the phone call still and listening. She could step in or she could 
talk to me and I could then voice whatever it is. So right. <clears throat> I don't remember exactly what time it is. I worked midnight shift the, the whole time. Um, I think it was pretty early in the evening. And the call comes in on our admin line. It's a non-emergency phone number, so it's not 911 or anything like that. And there's a man on the phone, and he is asking for the suicide hotline number, which is not something that we will give out because whatever someone is calling for needing the suicide hotline number is something that we would handle within the sheriff's office. It's something that we would send a deputy to. We would figure out what's going on. Um, And so... I obviously did not give him that phone number. <laughs> I was like, well, this is this is the sheriff's office, and, you know, if something's, if something's going on, you can talk to me. What is it that you wanted to call them about? Some stuff like that to try to get around it. He was not really happy that I wasn't giving him the phone number, and he ended up voicing to me that he was – wanting to commit suicide and seemed pretty ready right then and there. He was at home, I believe, and um, if my memory isn't failing me, he told me that he was holding a knife to to his throat, I believe. And so my mind, I feel like, (laughs) kind of blanked in that moment because that was the most intense thing that I had probably heard at that time given the short time that I had been um, with the department doing that job, I think I just looked over to my trainer really quick and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Or just like doubting everything that I've learned. And, you know, immediately I'm trying to gather information. Is is he hurt already? Um, Trying to obtain his address to then, as soon as we can, send deputies to him to get him some sort of help as much that he will um, basically agree to. Right. And so fortunately I was able to do that. This man, he was fairly young. Um, He was a veteran and he was telling me a lot of the reason why he was having these issues was because, I believe because of things he's experienced, uh, whatever branch that he was in and it was really difficult for him and so you know I was just staying on the phone with him as long as I could always making sure trying to get him to put the knife down because if the deputies were outside and they saw anything in his hands then you know that's just red flags for them they don't know if he would try to hurt himself or hurt deputies once they're there Um, and so my job to get him to put the knife down and exit his house with his hands like open and clear showing the deputies that he has nothing in his hands was so important and fortunately that happened um we're able to get numerous deputies there make sure that he's safe he was he had not harmed himself um i'm grateful that he he called that he not only called but didn't didn't receive the phone number for the suicide hotline because he he would not have gotten the same level of um, care, probably even compassion. I was fortunately able to talk to the deputy um, that spent one-on-one time with um, the caller, and they were able to just share things, and he was able to get him to calm down. He agreed to go to a hospital to have a psych eval, 
and I'm not sure if he received treatment after that or what it was, but I know that he was taken care of. So that was definitely very in the very beginning a pretty intense call that I experienced. You never know what someone's about to say on the phone. Right. You you really never know, and also something could start out so so calm and like collected, but people really can like turn and switch and um calls and circumstances can escalate so quickly so you really just have to be ready for anything in that kind of job 100 percent a success story that's why i wanted you to tell yeah. it. yeah there's a lot of facets to the whole the whole emergency medical service you know industry yeah, yeah and um definitely. and you know i feel like sometimes the part of call taker slash dispatcher is, is definitely an overlooked one so um, oh. but yeah, thank, yeah. thank you for your service and, uh, thank you for, um, doing this today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Brother. Brother. What are you doing? Man, I'm in the car. I'm trying to turn the volume up on my, on the phone. Oh. So I hear you better. What are you doing in the car? So I can heat, like there's no noise. Oh, damn. That's, that's smart, bro. Mom booth, brother. My question for you is how long have you been doing this job and is this what you always wanted to do? Uh, I've been doing it for 14 years and it, it, I wasn't one of those guys that was, you know, I wanted to be a fireman since I was a kid. I kind of just fell into my lap and I kind of just ran with it and I enjoy every minute of it now. Yeah, I heard you at one point say that uh, when you first started driving an engine, you felt like this is what I was made to do. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it just felt very comfortable, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's one of the few things in life that you feel, you know, very, for me, I feel very, very comfortable doing that job. Yeah. So. Well, no, it says a lot. It's good. Um, so, in that 14 years, I know that you've run a lot of crazy things that you that you have not been recognized for. Uh, but um, yeah. I, I know you have a story that you want to share with me, so um, why don't you go sure. ahead and get it started? Okay. So I've been here for about 14 years and about a year in. So usually like cardiac arrest calls, I mean, we run them fairly often. And for some reason, that call, even when I was precepting or doing whatever, I never ran. So it took me like a year in the field to run that call. Um, so basically we were in this in the station. We got dispatched. And, uh, you know, on the way there, I'm like, oh, crap, you know, this is finally it. My first, you know, code, cardiac arrest, whatever you want to call it. Uh, for those of you who don't know, just uh, if you're not in the medical field, when we say code or cardiac arrest, that literally means that the person, their heart has stopped beating and they are, uh, they're legally dead. So that's right. when we're, we're, that's when, you know, CPR is being performed and, and we're making efforts to bring the person back. So just so you guys know. So, uh. At the time, going to the call, I had no idea that it was going to, you know, be like this and stuff. So, so basically, we, we pulled up, and there's like a little kid in the in the driveway or front lawn just, you know, screaming, basically, like, you know, I think my dad's dead, blah, 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 all this stuff. And he's just, like, hysterical. I mean, who wouldn't be? So he and me, the little kid, immediately runs to our um, our lieutenant and just hugs his leg. Like how, you know, the little kids would do and you'd walk your leg with the kid wrapped around him. Like that kid did that. And that officer had to walk into the house with that poor kid wrapped around his leg. Um, so then 
it's most of those calls are just frantic. It's just people running around, stuff coming in and out of the house, all that stuff. So once we pulled up, one of the guys ran to the front door to open it, and their freaking door handle came off. Like that's how it started too. I'm like, holy shit, Perfect. this is gonna be this is gonna be crazy. What the hell is that? So he's holding the door handle in his hand, and the door's still closed. Kids in the front yard screaming, and apparently there's somebody inside that's having a you know it's cardiac arrest. So I'm like, whoa, what the hell? So the kids like just go in the garage. So I go to the garage and there's, you know, the poor kid's dad, you know, suit on, just laying in the kitchen and he's like blue, gray, like, so that's the first time, you know, same thing I saw anybody in that state. So I'm like, wow, this is wild. So me and the medic start working on the guy. I'm pretty sure I was driving the, yeah, I was driving the medic unit that day. So he, so basically the kid's crying, you know, it's everything's a hundred miles an hour. This is absolutely crazy. You know, all this stuff is happening right in front of me. This is what we're trained for. So we're like 30 minutes into this cardiac arrest, and we, like, decide, all right, let's package this person, and let's get him on the ambulance and get him to the hospital. So all of a sudden, we're there, you know, literally doing CPR, and they got all this stuff. The basement door now opens, and it's the guy's 13-year-old daughter just saying, Dad, is that you? She had no idea we were in there working this guy for half an hour. She was... I guess sleeping or shouting in the basement or getting ready for school. And I'm like, now it's like, oh, it's just all kinds of emotions. I'm like, oh my God, like how much crazier can this get? So she's now freaking out, just obviously, you know, obviously just notice her dad. So long story short, <clears throat> we eventually transport the guy. I don't think he, he obviously didn't make it. Um, so like that, that was basically my first, you know, code. I was like, man, I'm like in my head, I'm like, man, are they are, are they always that, you know, crazy with these kids and stuff? And, so basically a year goes by, you know, after that, you know, you run a few, you kind of get used to them. And um, so we had a, the shift before us, this is a year later, a shift before us, they ran a fire and uh, they left a hook or something or a tool um, at somebody's house from the fire. It happens a lot. Mm-hmm. So they just asked us the next day, hey, do you mind going to uh, this, this address and looking for this hook or this tool, whatever we're looking for? You know, sure, no problem. So we get there, you know, house is pretty much burnt to a crisp. We're kind of rubbishing through some of the outskirts of the house to find find this tool. I guess the homeowner was there just kind of trying to get pictures and, you know, mementos from the house that she can save. So, you know, we eventually make our way to the lady, you know, hey, we're really sorry about the house. You know, we're, we're looking for this tool. And she's just like, basically like in tears. You know what I mean? Who wouldn't be? Right. And she's like, this is just, this is absolutely crazy. She's like, my husband died in this house a year ago to the date and she showed me the picture and it's that guy that i ran that car deck arrest on and i was like oh my god it was a year to the date that, no. that i ran that code and that house burned down so oh man that's, that's crazy my, that's my kind of weird crazy you know first cardiac arrest story into the field yeah um but like as soon as she showed me that picture i completely recognized the guy and it was like just goosebumps i'm like oh my god yeah no that's intense um yeah well, yeah, like you said, since then you probably run hundreds yeah. of, of codes. Yeah, yeah. You know, nothing, nothing can top the first one with the two kids. You know, just kind of there and crying and yeah, it sounds it was like a perfect storm of of messed up. Yeah. But anyways, hey man, uh, thank you so much for sharing that story and uh, yeah, dude, we really appreciate it and we look forward to having you on again. Yep, sounds good. What? How long have you been doing this? Uh, this job, how long have you been in this career field? 2009 is when I started volunteering and uh, then got hired uh, career-wise 2015. 
Okay, so this is what you always wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to be a trash man when I was a little kid. Are you serious? Yep. Yeah. Like, for real? Yeah, I thought trash men were the men. They were taking all that trash away, getting off the streets, and uh, I thought they were cool. Weird stuff. Yeah, I wanted to be a trash man. Now the only thing trashy I like is my women, so that's it. <laughs> I'm keeping that in here, by the way. <laughs> I'm asking everybody this question. But when I'm like, hey, what's the weirdest call that comes to your mind first thing? What do you got? A uh, couple years, probably seven, seven years, eight years back. Uh, ran an EMS call back uh, home when I was volunteering and uh, we get put out as a first responder on the uh, engine called in by uh, the police department need an EMS to come and a fire to come for a psychiatric patient so PD's already on the scene we show up in uh, the fire truck uh, two uh, male police officers meet us out front they tell us that there's a distraught female in the bottom basement level of a home and the owners called in on the tenant saying uh, she was being very vocal in the basement and uh, she wouldn't stop when asked. So they called uh, the police department and then they asked for fire and EMS to do a checkout. So uh, the EMS unit was uh, still on their way. So we showed up, uh, two male police officers, full male crew on the uh, fire truck. They take us down to this basement. Uh, there's a door access to the bedroom. Uh, we hear some interesting noises. Can you, uh, and, uh, can you mimic some of the noises? <laughs> so there was, uh, it was half like demonic, possessed, and half, you know, pleasure going on make them like show me like it was like it was like ah, ooh, ah, 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 ah. and uh so uh we go down there with pd and they're like you know your patients through this door no kind of warning door opens and uh they're on the bed lies this uh, late mid-twenties female toes pointed towards the heavens legs spread apart there just <laughs> staring at all four of us staring at us with this look in her eye like she wanted us to see the pleasure she was having uh, <laughs> one of the guys on the crew tried to talk to her with PD and she just kept beating that thing up like Mike Tyson and a speed bag and uh so uh we back out and uh go back go back upstairs with the homeowners and told them that you know as males we couldn't really do anything for her. so pd asked for a, a female police officer so they sent two of those down and uh those two officers went down in the basement and uh i guess tried to talk her down or whatever they did to her i don't know but uh yeah they said we could go in service so yeah, went in service, and, uh, yeah, PD took care of it. But, yeah, but that sight and the way we made eye contact and she looked around and scanned was, yeah. like, she wanted to find the next victim. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I can't use that story. <laughs> that is way too graphic. First, I'm going to mention that you told the story 
that was so terrible that I couldn't put it on the show. <laughs> I told you it was going to be interesting. Cinco. All right, so here's the question. Um, my question for you is, how long have you been doing this job, and is it what you always wanted to do? Um, so I've been doing this job for about nine years now. Uh, it is not what I always wanted to do. I never even had it on my radar. Uh, beforehand, I had another career, uh, one that was blue collar, where I was sweating every day. And I remember um, coming home and being like, hey, I need to make a change. I got to do something that matters. I just can't keep existing. And I started applying for the fire department uh, for, I don't know, about five years, five, six years before, two, uh, before I got hired. <laughs> and um, was it a good decision? The best decision I ever made. I mean, I've done a lot of different jobs and careers in my life, but there's been nothing like this. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm sure in that time you've run your fair share of calls. Um, why don't you go ahead and uh, give me your most memorable? I guess I became a medic about three or four years ago. Um, and you know, becoming a medic is always a bigger role. Um, you're going to be dealing with more serious stuff. Um, people who are on, on the way out or circling the drain. Um, and so I knew that was going to come. Um, I do really well compartmentalizing things and knew I could handle it and not have a problem. Um, so I guess I had been out as a release medic for about four months, give or take. And, uh, and it was the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And the, the county I work in, I also live in. And I live in my first, right near my first do. So I run into my neighborhood quite frequently. Um, so like I said, it was Sunday before Thanksgiving. Go out at 10.30 at night for a, just a chest pain. Normal chest pain. Uh, older person. Seems straightforward. I get there, and this gentleman is making noises on the couch that I've never heard another human make, uh, basically from pain um, while they were looking at me. Right. And so I uh, do the normal thing, hook my life back, get a 12-lead going, and, um, and it comes out, and my man is having a widowmaker. And I remember, I remember we could never get a blood pressure on him. Um, vascular access was non-existent, and it was dark inside the house. Um, so I opted, let's get him out to the unit. I got lights. I can get everything done in there. And I remember looking at his wife, and I was like, hey, your husband is having a heart attack. We're going to get him to the hospital. I'm going to take care of him. Um, but we got to go now. So we get him in the back of the unit, um, and we start start our process. I start getting IV access, and literally as I as I uh, get into the vein, I look up and the old man just has that look on his face. And we all know that look mm -hmm. when they just they go. And right then I knew he was in cardiac arrest. So we started working the cardiac arrest, pretty typical. Um, got everything on board. Everything was nice and smooth. We kept getting a uh, tachycardic rhythm back, and he would Brady out, and we would start compressions again and keep on going through. Got him to the hospital, worked him for about an hour and five minutes to the hospital because the same thing kept happening. Get a, get a tachy rhythm, Brady out, same thing over and over. So uh, eventually the, the doctor in the ER called it, and uh, I didn't think anything of it. I, uh, I was like, man, this is just a straightforward chest pain call. It just happened to be the first person who didn't make it with me. And then I guess for about two weeks, I didn't sleep. I didn't know what was happening. Um, I, 
kind of would just lay in bed and I would replay this call over and over and over and over again. And, um, and I don't know why. I know that everything that happened that night was right. Everything my guys and myself did was correct. Right. There was nothing else I could have done. He just needed to be in the cath lab in that moment in time. Um, but, but it still haunted me. And now I drive past their house on a regular basis. And I just remember all the times to thinking about the last thing I said to his wife was she's having a heart attack. We need to go. And that was the last time she saw her husband alive was the Sunday before Thanksgiving. So every time Thanksgiving comes around, it, it pops up in my head. I think about it. It took me a couple of weeks. I think that's a, that's a normal healing process. Um, as long as you understand and you recognize it. So after about two weeks, I, I was good to go, but um, definitely took me a while to get used to that, that thought and being, realizing that that's going to happen in my line of work when I'm in control. Yeah, no, there's a lot to be said about that. And I kind of like what you, uh, we were going with it as far as like, there's only so much control that you actually have too. like, you know, God's going to take who he wants when he wants. Uh, that's it. Like I always tell people those bad things are going to happen to those people. I'm just there already behind the eight ball trying to make the best of the situation I can. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great story. I appreciate you telling it. And it's, uh, it's good for people who might, you know, be thinking about, you know, um, joining this career field that, you know, you do deal with death. It's very real. You have to learn to compartmentalize like you mentioned, but yeah, it's rough. And, uh, I appreciate that story, man. We look forward to talking to you again and, uh, good luck out there. Uh, I appreciate you, sweetie. Have a great day, my man. All right. See you, man. Bye. Is this the first podcast you've ever been a part of? It is. Absolutely. First one. I'm about to make you famous. Uh, uh, so it all begins here. Yeah. This is where it all started. Um, no. So how long have you been, um, doing fire and rescue, be it volunteer or whatever? Um, well, I volunteered for about three years before I became a career firefighter. So I've been working now 19 years. So since then, so yes. 22 years. All right. And you're, are you uh, looking forward to that retirement coming up soon or? I don't know. I have mixed feelings, you know, do I want to retire? I've always said, as long as my body holds out, I'll continue on. So yeah. it's holding out. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how long it takes me. No, it's a good rule of thumb. Uh, so in that 19 years, I'm sure you've ran your fair share of bizarre, sad, peculiar, whatever calls. Is that Would that be a fair statement? Oh, yeah. I think uh, I had a professor in college tell me one time, if you can think it, somebody's done it. I think uh, so we've seen just about everything. You think about it, and you're like, there's no way somebody's done that. But, yeah, sure enough, somebody's tried it, I'm sure. So. <laughs> Why don't we just go ahead and get this thing started? You mind sharing uh, one of your most peculiar stories with me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we talked about this before. Uh, so it's definitely a story that I don't think will ever happen again. But why not? Like, it's one of the one of the greatest stories I have. So That's a good one. Uh, so it was like one of those nights uh, getting dusk. Lots of accidents were happening. So we probably ran two or three auto accidents already that night. And so it was... You know, right at dinner time, so everybody's kind of cranky because you want to eat. And then we're on this two-lane road that gets a lot of traffic right at rush hour and at that time of day. And there's an auto accident, two cars, nothing major, but blocking the middle of the road. So when we finally get up through traffic and get to this vehicle, 
we're having a hard time communicating with the with the driver of one of the vehicle in particular. So we were trying to figure out what's going on with him, get him off the road. So we we finally get him so that we move his car off the road way so we can somewhat open up half a lane of traffic. And uh, it's in like this middle of this field that looks like, you know, it's part of a farm. So I'm like, oh, this is a great big field farm. Oh, this would be fine. We put him over here. So that's kind of where we are. We got this guy off the road, out of the way. Traffic's moving finally. And we're trying to get, understand, you know, is he hurt? Does he need to go to the hospital? What happened? You know, he definitely seems a little out of it, but, you know, we just can't get much out of him, you know. So that's kind of where we are. So in the middle of all of this, um, just out of nowhere, like literally materializes out of nowhere is this lady driving a Segway across the field, comes right up to the vehicle and comes up and sees. So this lady just appears out of this farm where there's just a big field <laughs> on this Segway. <laughs> so, you know, almost like a, an aura around her, I guess, you know, that just shows up. Right. So first thing you're thinking is like, oh boy, what do I, you know, what's going on here? So she comes up and I'm like, all right, just, you know, just answer her questions, get her out of her way so we can continue what we need. She's, you know, hey, what's going on? I need to know what's going on. And like, well, you know, you know, auto accident, we're trying to take care of it. She's, oh, anything I can do? And I like, listen, so we're trying to get her out of our way, you know. You know, nothing to see here. <laughs> Don't know where you came from, but probably you need to go back. And uh, so she just keeps asking and, and pestering us and trying to figure out what we need. So finally I said, hey, you know, what's going on? What do you need? And she says, well, you know, I just want to make sure you guys need anything. I said, well, you know, right now I don't need anything, but I knew that this guy was Korean, and that's why we were having a hard time talking to him. Like, I could hear certain words I picked up, I knew he was talking Korean, but I was, that's probably why we are having a hard time talking to him. So I said, unless you, unless you know Korean, you know, there's nothing that you can do to help me right now. So she's like, oh, okay, no problem. So she turns and she just as quickly as she appeared, she disappeared, like off into the sunset. <laughs> so off she went. So we're we're with this guy probably another fifteen minutes, five minutes, maybe not even that. We're like still trying to get some questions out of him. And then sure enough, out of the same place that she disappeared to, off she comes again. This time you're not gonna believe you. <laughs> you will not believe it. But hanging off the back of her Segway on her is this little Korean guy. <laughs> so she brings me a little Korean guy, right? So <laughs> I'm, I'm not lying. So this guy comes up and starts speaking Korean to this this man that's in the vehicle and is just asking him, you know, hey, they want to know what's going on. So back and forth we go for a little while, come to find out the guy does want to go to the hospital. He does have an injury. And so he actually helps us get this guy into the back of the ambulance and off to the hospital. So the little a- green guy packs back up on the back of the Segway, off they ride into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> so so to this day, I'm always like on the radio. I want to de- I'm so tempted on the radio. Give me the lady on the Segway. <laughs> <Yeah. You know? laughs> it sounds like she, she's the person who can get things, man. Obviously, that's insane. Yeah. Basically you met you met the Segway Angel is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. It's gotta be. Once once in a lifetime, so they exist throughout there. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> <Yeah>. to believe. <laughs> no, that's a good one. I I uh I imagine she probably would have brought you anything you'd asked for, so 
Uh, yeah, I know. Like, and I had to ask for a cream. I could have asked for anything. That's what I asked for. It's probably my one you, wish. Yeah, you wasted your one wish. It. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks a lot for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Um, and I uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future about uh, other weird stuff. So, yeah. Thanks, thanks a lot. All right. Well, good luck to you. All right, everybody. Welcome back. I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And once again, thank you to everybody who participated by telling me a story. And for those of you who didn't want to tell me a story, see, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't scary at all. Um, So if you guys change your mind after listening to this, maybe we'll do a part two of uh, the fire and rescue episode. Um, Let me know. You know how to get a hold of me. Uh, Anyways, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in as always. Uh, You guys are awesome. And we'll be back with another episode as soon as possible. All right, guys, have a nice day. Thank you. Interesting.